You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. They were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." Grass withers, flower fades, and word of our God stands forever. So I'm going to make a confession to you this morning. I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I'm just going to lay it out here for you. Here's my confession. I really like the show, The Great British Baking Show. All right, and if you've ever seen it or not, The Great British Baking Show is one of the uh, best shows that there is on television. I will go on record as having said that. It's a, one of, it's just, it takes all of the great uh, aspects of reality TV, of which there are few, I will admit, uh, but it takes just personalities and their love of baking and puts them in one little tent with British accents, and they all just make the best bake that they can make and uh, just a bunch of people who love to bake working hard making really good bakes and I think I've watched every season of of the show and even a few of the holiday specials possibly but if you're my family this is not news to you I, I talk about this frequently that I love the great British baking show but at the end of a hard day I get home from work and and I maybe have skipped lunch and it's supper time and I'm hungry, you know what I don't do? I don't go watch the Great British Baking Show. Because in the end, it's, it's, it's not real enough to do anything for me. At, at, the, at supper time, when I've worked hard, I don't want theories of food. I don't want displays of food. I don't want technique about food. I want real food, right? Anybody with me? All right. Amen. I want real food at the end of the day. I want something real. 
We want something real in those moments. Now, you ask, what does that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Well, in many ways, nothing. I don't, I don't bring up TV very often. In many ways, nothing. But in one, one way, this, one important way, it does. Because what we are looking for is something real. We want something we real. When we are hungry, shows about good food will not do. Only the real thing will. And when we are struggling with the biggest issues in life, especially issues of eternal significance, we need answers that are real. Not just abstract ideas, not just thoughts, not just hints and tips, but something real. And what we see in our text this morning, Luke labors this point in this whole last chapter over and over again. He's emphasizing the realness of what Christ has accomplished. Luke is focusing on the realness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there's something actually happened. Not theories, not principles, not platitudes, not hints, not ideas, not abstract philosophy. What happened was something real. What do we need from our religion? Well, I'm not a pragmatist, but for many people in our world today, the driving question is if something works. If it works, you know, then, then it's good. So what do we want out of our spirituality? What do we want out of our spiritual practice? Well, for many people, the only question they ask is, well, does it work? And so they'll watch a, a spiritual guru on TV or they've written a new book that has principles to a happier life or whatever they're looking for, ways to find peace. They'll, they'll Google, you know, what are, what are spiritual tips to having internal peace? And basically, if, it's, if it works... Then, then they'll go with it. And I've got friends that go down this path that are constantly looking for just what works in the moment. And if it works for right now, then it's the spirituality that I want for right now. When it comes to general spirituality, many times the only criteria people use to judge whether a spiritual pursuit is good or not is if it has practical in the moment help. We get caught up in the abstraction of spirituality, just the think, just just the ideas, the ideas of spirituality. Abstraction meaning that all the work is just done here in your head. It's just thoughts, just concepts, it's just principles, and 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 that's that's where the real work is done, just with ideas. But Christianity isn't dealing with just ideas. Now, certainly, there is a theology, a philosophy, a worldview. There is deep and rich theology that is in your head that Christianity does have to do with. But Christianity isn't just dealing with ideas. There is something real. Luke is writing about a real account of history that Jesus, the Christ, God in flesh incarnates the third person or the second member not the, third, the second member of the trinity Jesus Christ God the son puts on flesh dwells as man really is here they are with him they hug him he gets baptized he, he walks around with them. He washes the feet of his disciples. Really there. Really dies upon a cross. Really suffers. Really does die. And then yes, really does raise 
from the dead. Christ's resurrection was a real resurrection. And you have to labor this point. There, there are many uh, faux Christianities that will emphasize, that will talk about resurrection in spiritualized terms. Spiritual resurrection or the idea of, of coming to life after death. Well, Luke's point is not that this is an idea. It's that this really happened, okay? Christianity, yes, is full of ideas and thoughts about God, but it is always grounded in a reality that Jesus really lived 2,000 years ago, walked the earth, really died, and really, truly rose from the dead. So we look at this text and you can see this emphasis, right? He says in verse 38, why are you troubled? They think they see a spirit. There's just some ghost that has shown up. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see that I have a real body, a real flesh and bone body there before them. And then verse 40, just in case you don't get the point in what Luke is saying, Luke goes on in verse 40 and he says what? And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Hands and feet, hands and feet, flesh and bones, hands and feet, over and over again. And he shows them to them. And while they still disbelieve for joy, they're just, they're marveled. How can this even be? How can, how can this man who was just scourged, crucified, died three days ago, walks to Emmaus, a seven mile walk, his body is back and there's no, he's not the wounded uh, body that they just saw uh, crucified three days ago, but he is a, a well body. They marveled with joy at what they see. And further, he says to them, you got anything to eat? He doesn't sit down for the Great British Baking Show. You got anything to eat? And what happens? Bring him broiled fish and he eats. He's got a body that is, consumes food, okay? So there's, there's so much that we don't know about Jesus' resurrection body. Like we have these few snippets, right? We don't, there are so many questions that we don't necessarily get the answers to, all right? But what we can learn for certain is that there is some difference, right? Because we know like from John's gospel, they're in a room locked and Jesus just, just shows up. So either he's able to get through the wall or get through the door or, or something. He, he's there in the room with them, but, but he wasn't there a while ago. And possibly that's the same thing going on here. He just, he just appears among them. He's able to get out of his grave clothes and they're all laid there heaped up. And the language there is like, uh, he didn't just... Um, he just kind of came out of the grave clothes and they are left there kind of, you know, like you take a towel and you were to drop it on the floor, it might stand up, you know, because it's, it's got a weird space underneath it. Somehow he comes out of those grave clothes. So we know it's, it's something kind of different than our bodies because I can't just appear out at any place. We know at the end of this text, he's going to ascend into heaven. So his body's a little, something's different but Luke is emphasizing there is so much that is the same because he has hands and feet. They're able to touch him. There is this incredible amount of similarity between the body that was and the body that now is. It is a spiritual body, but by that, we don't mean 
uh, ether, just floaty, you know, just nothing. It's, it's a supernatural body. It is a mortal body that's put on immortality, all right? This is what his body is. Now, why is Darren laboring this point? Well, I want to take a moment and just talk about the eternal state. Because you don't have, there isn't a lot of uh, op, uh, opportunity always, unless you just, that's your pet topic, to really talk about what's, what's going on with this view of eternal state. And it's often overlooked. What, what the common thought is, the popular opinion about the eternal state, is that based, the way we phrase it is that you die and you go to heaven. End of story. And that's probably what I mean. And to, to be honest, that's not terrible. That you do, I mean, for those who do die before Christ returns, we do go to heaven. There is this general term of going to heaven. That is true, but it is incomplete. It is an incomplete view of what comes in the eternal state. It's this idea that we leave our bodies behind and they return to dust and never, you know, just we go back into warm food and then our spirits go on to heaven and that's, that's forever where we are. That's not the end of the story biblically. That's not the end of the story biblically. By the way, I say this for uh, just, I'm going to throw this out here. We don't become angels. Like if you're a kid that hears that, we, we don't die and become angels. Angels are a created being by God. God created angels. And there is a host of angels that God has created. They are special, unique beings in the universe made by God. Humans do not become angels, okay? I, I, don't, I don't know who that's for, but that, I hear that sometimes. And it's one of those things, you know, you see, and I, I apologize if you've ever said this, before when someone dies, but they say fly high, you know, when someone passes on. And I kind of think, well, what do they mean by fly high? If they mean that you get your wings and now become an angel and come back and are a guardian angel, that's not biblical. That's not biblical at all, folks, okay? So we don't become angels. We die, we go to some sort of heaven, yes, but that is an intermediate state is what that is called in, in theology, in Christian theology. It's an intermediate state because of a few texts I want to share with you about the reality of where we are going, where we are going uh, in the eternal state. Romans chapter 8 is the first one I want you to look at with me. This is page 1122 in your pew Bible. Romans chapter 8, we'll read verse 11 and then also verses 22 and 23. It says this in Romans, 11, Romans 8, verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There's something going on. This spirit that brought Jesus to life is also, if that same spirit dwells in you by faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that same spirit is going to give life to your mortal bodies as it did in Jesus. You jump down to verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's talking about the fall of everything. has been broken. It's a groaning. And not only creation, not only the creation, verse 23 of Romans 8, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. 
It isn't just going on to some spiritual state. There is something real about our future. Okay, that's the point Luke is saying with Jesus. There's something real about it. It isn't just esoteric. It isn't just abstract. Something real. So Philippians chapter 3, Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, page 1166 in your pew Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Writing to the Christians, right? He's writing to the church at Philippi. So this is to Christians. Our citizenship, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is in contrast. You can read the, it's a fabulous chapter, but there are those who are glorying in their destruction, those who are ungodly, those who are unbelievers. They do not belong with God. But, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, so there's this, this word of heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What is the thing we're looking forward to? What is the thing we're looking for? Not some weird disembodied spiritual state we have no understanding about, but something real. Something real. Christianity is not based just upon ideas and thoughts and speculations. It's based on a, a, a realness to this world and to the world that is to come. We await, we just Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his. 1 Corinthians 15, just a famous passage if you want to read on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is, 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 has a ton of content on this. But just looking briefly at verse 44, let's start in verse 42. So it is with, this is page 1143 of your pew Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, that's your mortal body. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, I want to just emphasize again, that doesn't mean a non-corporeal body. It is a glorious body. Jesus was raised a spiritual body. Yet, hands and feet, flesh and bones, eat fish, a spiritual body, a glorious body. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. All of these texts are pointing to this reality, this real future that we have as God's people. A real future. Eternal life is not some disembodied state. As Christ experienced a real resurrection, likewise, all those who are his will experience this real resurrection to eternal real life. I, I, don't, I hope you understand that the, the contrast I'm trying to make there is that this is, this is not built upon just ideas and thoughts. It's, it's reality that Christ is showing in his own resurrection. This will be a real life, an eternal life, yes, different from what we now know in many ways, yet similar enough that it will be recognizable. Listen to these words from N.T. Wright in his commentary. He says that, this reality of the realness of the resurrection, that, I think, is the hardest thing for us to grasp about the resurrection. 
It takes St. Paul a long chapter to thrash it out, 1 Corinthians 15, and many misunderstand that even then, people often think that resurrection simply means life after death or going to heaven. But in the Jewish world of the first century, it meant a new embodied life in God's new world, a life after life after death, if you like. But the new body which will be given at the end is not identical to the previous one. In an act of new creation, parallel only to the original creation itself, God will make a new type of material no longer subject to death out of the old one. In Jesus' case, of course, this happened right away without his original body decaying so that the new body was actually the transformation of the old one. For the rest of us whose bodies will decay and whose bones may well be burnt, it will take a complete act of new creation. Going on, he says, the new body, and this is the point, will belong in both dimensions of God's world, in both heaven and earth. At the moment, our bodies are earthly only. Jesus' new body is at home in both earth and heaven, right? He ascends into heaven. His body's at home in both places. If our mental pictures of heaven need adjusting to allow for this startling possibility, so be it. Only this explains the otherwise very puzzling stories here and in John's similar account. Going on, he says, of course, the resurrection and the ascension stretch our minds and imaginations further than we would normally like. We who live even as Christians with our thinking conditioned by the world of sin and death find it a struggle to adjust to God's new world. That is part of the challenge of the gospel. The realness of what is coming. The realness of what is coming. What's the practical application? Okay, he's emphasizing this, this realness. The practical application, well, I think here's this reality. We have real sorrows in this life. We have real troubles. We have real hurts. We have real concerns. And bigger than that, we have real sin. We have real transgression. We have real problems. So therefore, what we need with all of this realness around us is something real. We need something real. Christ doesn't come and just offer us high-minded ideals. He show, doesn't just show up and offer life advice. He shows up and accomplishes something in real space and time that makes a real difference. Jesus lives a real life. Jesus dies a real death. Jesus resurrects to a real new life. And Jesus promises a real future with him. He lives this real life. He commits no sin. There's no unrighteousness in him. What was required of us, Jesus meets. He dies a real death. Professional executors make no mistakes. He was dead. He dies as a substitute for our sin. He resurrects to a new, real new life. The witnesses testify to this. They see him. They, they, they touch him. They, they're there with him. He eats in their presence. In him we now live and Jesus promises a real future with him. Honestly, I'm tired of empty promises and flat advice that is given about how to make my life better. I'm tired of, 
you know, getting all the, the leadership books and the self-help books about all these ways to implement and all these plans to make your life better. And I'm tired of them because they aren't working. I mean, I, I don't get any better. I know that the biggest problem is, is the reality of me. The reality of me. I need something outside of myself, bigger than myself, and more real. I need something real from outside of me to, to help me. And this is what is given in Christianity. Not easy fix platitudes, not just fix it statements, but real worldview shifting truth. Real worldview shifting truth. It's the difference between finding a new tool to use... Like, okay, I'm going to try this tool instead. Maybe if I try this cheater bar. Maybe if I, maybe if I, I, I adjust this tool. It's the, difference, it's the difference between finding a new tool and, then, and, and between finding a new tool and coming to a new understanding of what everything is about. What even needs to be fixed. I've got a new budgeting tool I just discovered. Uh, it's, uh, it's nothing fancy. It's just a simple Google Doc thing that you, they lay it all out in pretty colors and it looks nice and you just, you just input your numbers and it does all the math for you. Like you don't have to sit there and punch all the buttons on your calculator anymore. It just automatic. And everyone's like, yeah, it's called Excel, Darren. But I didn't, I didn't have this before. And so all the formulas are laid out and some of you that don't have computers are just like, well, it's just called a check register. But anyway, I, I've discovered this new tool and it's, it's phenomenal. I love using it. Uh, it's, 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 it's great. I'm so glad to have this tool. But uh, it, it does all this math for you. And, and for, for some, this, this new tool really helps. But for some, no amount of tools will ever make up for just the reality, this worldview reality, you have to spend less, less than what you make, right? There's like, there's, if you can bring, you can throw at somebody tons of new tools, but if their view, if they have this huge worldview that is totally off, they're never, it doesn't matter what tools they use, they're, they're broken altogether. And what they need is not a new tool, but a whole shift in their perspective. Right? What they need is not a new tool, they need a whole shift in their perspective. Well, Christianity, likewise, sometimes is just viewed as a tool to help get what I want. It's not just viewed as a tool to help me get what I want. A tool for better success at what you think life is about. It might bring temporary success, but it will not happily put you before God's judgment seat. Much of what ails us today is that we still love this kingdom, this world, more than the coming kingdom. We love this kingdom more than the coming kingdom and we try to use Jesus to help us get the most out of this world. But that is not Christianity. Christianity is not a tool to get you what you want in this world. Christianity comes to us and it gives us a whole new concept of what is even real and what really even matters. The God who made the world that fell and now has redeemed it through Christ and was offering adoption to all who would come to him in repentance and faith. Christianity gives us a whole new future to look forward to. It gives us a new city to put our hopes upon. In order to walk in forgiveness, so trying to get practical, in order to walk in forgiveness, you don't just need better tips. You know, life advice. Here's how you find ways to forgive people. We are called to set our eyes upon a better future. So that those who wrong you 
they don't really steal anything from you because they cannot steal from you what matters most. We are able to let go of wrongs done to us because we know that there is an eternal glory laid up for us. Forgiveness doesn't just need better tips. It needs a new view of what the life is really all about. And not about us, not about you. In order to walk in love for others, even at cost for ourselves. What if loving this other individual is going to cost me something? What you need is not just better tips and tricks to get that done, but a new view of what is reality. Who God is, who Christ is, and what he has done for you. Setting your eyes there upon him and upon that real future. We are called to cling to, to what we truly have in Christ so tightly that we can gladly let go of things in this world in service to others. In order to put sin to death, even those things that appeal most to us, in order to put sin to death, we don't just need temporal boundaries or fix-it schemes. We need to open our eyes to the superior pleasures that are found in righteousness, in holiness, and in fellowship with the God who has rescued us. The realness of Christ's death and resurrection demands our attention and our allegiance. But it does so while providing true satisfaction in knowing that we are God's through faith in Christ. And embracing this hope, this eternal hope, this real hope, this real future purchased for us by a real God who sent his son, who lived a real life, righteous life, died a real death, raised a real resurrection, purchased for us by him. Embracing that hope, the Holy Spirit now indwells us. And we know that God is with us and for us through everything. And that he will not fail to bring everything to the final conclusion of our forever satisfaction in him. Truly and really in him and with him, as real as Christ's life and resurrection is, that is how real our joy in him will be. Let's pray. Father, help us to see this. This is a supernatural work. No amount of, of illustrating or, or pleading on my part alone and even in my own head gets me there. We need you. Father, my prayer right now this morning as we get ready to prepare for communion is that you would give us eyes to see. That we, we celebrate communion because it is a, a way to try to put our hands on that this, this, this Christ that we have gathered to worship is not mere idea. You are real. You lived. You died for our sins. You lived for our righteousness, died for our sins, resurrected in victory over the grave so that every one of us in this room this morning could have real hope, real future, real promise. God, give us eyes to see it and deepen our joy in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.